All right. Well, if you were up on Facebook and saw the review we put up, if you receive a prophetic word from multiple people who have no connection to each other, but each give similar counsel, they use similar phrases, and even some of the same words, is it a sign that it's from God? That's what we're going to look at here tonight. Now, sometimes we've heard some um, things spoken about this and, and some warnings given on this. But if you had to go to the Word of God, could you prove it? Whichever way you believe on, on it, could you prove it? There are some people who believe that all those similarities would certainly make it be God. But could they prove it from the Word of God? And then there are some that would say that it's not from God. But could they prove it from the Word of God? Because whatever it is that we believe, we have to come to a place where we understand... I have to believe it if the Word of God says it. If the Word of God doesn't tell it to me, maybe we have some opinions, but we must keep clear that it is an opinion. It's not the Word of God. Now, I have some opinions that are not founded in the Word of God, and they may very well be true and good, and maybe even wise. But if they're not found in the Word of God, it's not God's wisdom. It's wisdom as we've pieced it together. And I understand we... we we sometimes need to do that on some, some areas. So I'm not telling you never do it. And just saying if we, if we have something, it's so easy for people to elevate their own opinion to that of the Word of God. And we have to be careful about it. So we're going to take a look at Ezekiel chapter 11 here. We're just carrying the one chapter. I see we have no video yet, huh? No, I meant on, uh, on this part. So they'll just have to join us as we're in progress here. So, Ezekiel chapter 11. And we are at verse 1. Then the Spirit lifted me up. This is still the same vision. It began in 8. 8, 9, 10, and 11 here. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house, which faces eastward. And there at the door of the gate were 25 men, among whom I saw Jazaniah, the son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Beniah, princes of the people. Now that word there, princes, is not necessarily royalty. It is princes as in people that rule. It doesn't use the term uh, priest. And even though they are standing in the place where priests usually are, it's not putting that terminology on them. So it may be that these are just leaders that have taken up the space of leadership since many of the others were taken into captivity. And he said to me, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and give wicked counsel in this city, who say the time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron, and we are the meat. Therefore prophesy against them. Prophesy, O son of man. Now we're going to have a little bit of fun here with verse 3. Verse 3 is a very puzzling verse in how you interpret it. And how you translate it. And if you read it in the King James, it will read one way. If you read it in the New King James, it will read slightly different. If you read it in some other versions, it will be opposite of each other. This, this verse is, I was looking at a number of different translations. And if you, if you ever want to see, uh, um, uh, we heard, you know, the message. Sometimes they really hit some nice and, and sometimes they just really blow it. If you want to see a time when they really blew it, take a, take a look at this verse. Boy, did they blow it on this verse. I don't even know what they were trying to get, get a hold of in this one. But this is a very ver- uh, confusing verse, and apparently to a lot of people who have made a study of Ezekiel, 
This one particular verse is very confusing to them. So if you ever get to a place where a verse is confusing, the best thing to do is go back into Scripture and get where it's going to be consistent. So that's what we're going to try and do. And we'll show you some of these here. So we're back to these 25 men, and we've had them come up in the vision before. These are the men who devise iniquity and give wicked counsel in this city. So Ezekiel is carried by the Spirit to the place that was occupied by the glory of God by the east gate. It had been lifted up, and it's still in that area, but he is carried over to the place that it once had occupied. Now it gives two people's names here. And this is the only place in the Bible we know these guys. We don't even know them from Jeremiah. And yet they're in the city where Jeremiah is is ministering. This is the only place that we, we have them. Now there are some archaeological discoveries in Jerusalem that have uh, found about 250 clay seals from this particular time frame. The names of both of these men appear on these seals. There's also the name of Jeremiah and the seal of Jeremiah's scribe, Baruch. They were also found. So that's, uh, now the seals, the reason it's only the seals that are found is the seals were around the documents which burned up in the fire that Nebuchadnezzar uh, set when he burned the temple down. So the seals remained because they wouldn't have burned. So we would have had those. And so there are seals that have different <clears throat> different people's names on them. And they were seen there. Now let's take a look at this verse 3 here. The time, the time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron, and we are the meat. So, according to this one, this is not, this is not near, <laughs> the time is not near to build houses. Now, some, in some of the other prophecies that were given, some of the false prophecies, they were telling them that uh, this is all going to go away in two years and to, and to um, uh, not fret about it. And we know that uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah were both prophesying things to plant vineyards and to build houses. So here where it says, the time is not near to build houses, this city is the cauldron and we are the meat. Let me read you some of the other translations that are this. Uh, I got two of the best ones I could find that translated this. They're co- completely opposite of each other. But in the New Living Translation, it says this, They say to the people, this is the false leaders, It is not a good time to build houses. Or, I'm sorry, question mark. Is it not a good time to build houses? This city is like an iron pot. We are safe inside it like meat in a pot. That's one way that you can do it. Now, here's the, here's the other way. This is from the New English Translation, often known as the NET, NET the NET Bible. They say the time is not near to build houses. The city is a cooking pot and we are the meat in it. Now, if you look at it this way, that the city is a cooking pot and we, we are the meat in it, or, uh, the city is like an iron pot and we are safe inside it like meat in a pot. When would a cooking pot ever be safe place for meat? I mean, it's, it's, it's never, if you, you could think of other things that you would say that's going to keep the meat safe, but not a cooking pot. That would not be the, the thing to do. So, so I would say just from the, the, uh, the analogies that are there, the iron pot and the, or the cauldron 
and the, and the meat, that we're looking at a cooking process, and if the city is being called a, uh, a cooking pot, then those that are inside are in trouble. Now, I've, I've got another, just in looking at all the things that were said before this, um, See, one of the things we know from the false prophets, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the people, they're asking the people to pay no attention to Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Don't, don't, don't mind them. Their message is false. And they, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, are urging submission to the Babylonians. The false prophets are urging rebellion. And that's where they're, they're coming apart there. Uh, Jeremiah taught the the people at home and in captivity that submission to the Babylonians was the only way that they would be safe. It was the will of God. Now you can go over to Jeremiah 29 and verse 4 if you just want to write that down. We're not going to go to it now, but you can write that down for it. In, um, uh, later on, God in chapter 17 of Jeremiah, God condemned Zedekiah for not remaining submissive to Nebuchadnezzar. So, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are both, are both saying, be submitted to the Babylonians. This is the will of God. You guys rebelled. This is, this is the way to go. Submit to the will of God. But most of the people, of course, they don't submit to the will of God. They go against it. So, I would propose this to you. It could be translated in such a way like this. This is not a time to build houses. The city is cooking and we are the meal. Fortify against the Babylonians. In other words, this is not a time for us to focus on building houses. This is not a time for us to focus on getting ourselves ready. We need to understand we're in a bad spot and we need to come against the Babylonians. Now see, that goes against every message that Jeremiah and Ezekiel have said. Because they say, no, build houses and plant vineyards. You're going to be here a while. And they say, submit to the Babylonians. So if these folks are going to say something against them, then what is contained in the message has to be against what Jeremiah and Ezekiel are, are, are saying. So that's a, that's a translation that I think captures the, um, at least the intent. I don't know about all the Hebrew stuff. Apparently there's a lot of disagreement on what is negative and what is, is not negative that we get so much opposite in that. But God is telling them to, to submit to the Babylonians, but those that are false Tell them to rebel. Let's go on over to verse 5. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said to me, Speak, thus says the Lord, Thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. You have multiplied your slain in this city, and you have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Your slain, whom you have laid in its midst, they are the meat. And this city is the cauldron. He's using their terminology. But I shall bring you out of its, out of the midst of it. You have feared the sword, and I will bring a sword upon you, says the Lord God. So this is the word that comes to him. Again, in verse 5, the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me. This is in the vision. So in the vision, the Spirit of God falls on him. Can you imagine that? Having a vision, the Spirit of God is on you in the vision. The Spirit of God has carried you into this place. The Spirit of God has just moved you from the north gate down over to the east gate. And... Now the Spirit of God comes upon you to speak 
Thus says the Lord, thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. One of the things we have to learn about God is He doesn't just know the things that you say with your mouth. He knows the things you think in your mind. He knows the things that come to your mind. You have multiplied your slain in this city and you have filled its streets with the slain. So as much as they fear the Babylonians, they're outright killing people in the city. Which, it's, it's bizarre. They're warning you to, you know, the Babylonians are our enemy. They're out here to hurt us. But apparently in the city, these leaders are killing some of the people. Now the people that they would kill would be the ones that come against their message. They're not going to kill people that are on their side or that are agreeing with the message. But those people that are in the camp of Jeremiah or Ezekiel or those people who want to follow them, they apparently are going around and they're killing them. They're, they're slaying them in the city for the purpose of creating fear amongst those that are there so that they won't follow them. And so that's what God says in this particular message here. He says, You have multiplied your slain in this city. Not the Babylonians. You guys have done it. And you have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, your slain whom you have laid in its midst, they are meat. They are the meat. And this city is the cauldron. But I shall bring you out of the midst of it. So God is saying, I'm not saying the people that are alive are the meat. I'm saying the people that are dead. They are the meat. And you are the ones who killed them. Now, if you were regular people in the city, wouldn't you become fearful of the leaders? If they're going around somehow and killing some of the people that are there, wouldn't that generate a fear? So somehow, these, pe- these leaders are generating an, an idea with the people in the city, the Jewish people in the city, that these guys are evil. They're coming against us. They're planted here by the Babylonians. They're here to tell us to, to go along in a, in a wrong way so that the people get on board with this false leadership that they are excited that these people are dying. Because it doesn't create any fear in them. They're not afraid of these, of these leaders. Now that's a situation that has been created many times in history, not just here. You can go through World War I and World War II and some of the attitudes that were created in the Soviet Union and, and uh, Russia and Germany, uh, Japan, uh, Italy even. I don't know if not everybody is aware because the other ones were out there killing so many, but Mussolini was uh, out there killing a lot of people too. And they just, you know, they generate an idea. These are, these are bad people. Uh, and these are people that, that shouldn't be here. And so the Germans were just outright killing the Jewish people and no one seemed to be bothered by it. At least not enough of the people to, uh, to do anything. There wasn't the fear. They're going to come after me. And that's what's going on here in Jerusalem. So verse verse 8, You have feared the sword, and I will bring a sword upon you, says the Lord. This is the word that he gave. So they're afraid of the sword. Of all the things they're afraid of, the sword is the one they're afraid of most. Remember, God knows their thoughts. He knows the things that come into their mind. And I will bring you out of its midst and deliver you into the hands of strangers and execute judgments on you. You shall fall by the sword. I will judge you at the border of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So the city shall, uh, the city shall not be your cauldron, nor shall you be the meat in its midst. I will judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord, for you have not walked in my statutes, 
nor executed my judgments, but have done according to the customs of the Gentiles which are around you. Now, last verse that we're going to come back to, because there are some things inside the book of Ezekiel that we've already read that might cause us to be confused about that one verse. So we're going to come back to that in just here, uh, in just a minute. But here's the prophecy he has made to them. He says, I will bring you out of its midst. He says, I'm going to bring you out of Jerusalem. I'm going to bring you out of the pot, so to speak, and deliver you into the hands of strangers and execute judgments on you. You shall fall by the sword and I will judge you at the border of Israel. So what he's saying here is, remember earlier, there were three things that were, that were prophesied about them. That the people who remained in the city, there would be famine. The people who remained until the city fell, there would be sword. And those people who escaped, there would be pestilence. So all, and, and sword would also follow them. So famine, pestilence, and sword. These are the three things that are going to wipe them out. And God says, these three things I'm sending upon you. <clears throat> but here for these particular ones, the one out of those three, the one that caused them to have the most fear was the sword. I think most of us were of the opinion that if uh, we're going to be hit by any one of those three, if it was a, it was a given, one of these three is going to get you, we'd, I'd rather die by the sword. It's quicker, it's, it's over. Uh, the other ones just seem to be drawn out and lengthy. And, but that's not where it is with these leaders. These leaders somehow feared the sword the most. So when he says this to them, he says, I'm going to pull you out of the city and then I'm going to kill you by the sword, but we're not going to do it here. We're going to do it near the border of, of, of uh, Judah. So if we go back in history and we find out these things, we find that they were for, the, the, the fulfillment of this was at Riblah in the land of Hamath. This particular city is no longer there. It was only, we only see it a couple of times in scripture. And it's a place where uh, an attack was launched on uh, two separate occasions. One was from Pharaoh Necho when he came down and he um, he set up camp there and he attacked he, uh, uh, Jerusalem, Palestine from there. He didn't intend to, but of course the king then, Josiah, wasn't going to let him go. He wasn't going to leave him alone. He told him to leave him alone. He said he wouldn't. But from this particular point, it's north of, of Israel, and from this particular point, you can attack a number of different places, including uh, Syria, which is one of the places that he wanted to go after. And so that's why he probably camped there. And they say if you look there, and you go, they know where this place is, and there's nothing there. Uh, I think there's a small city or village that's there now. Uh, but lots of springs, lots of water came in here. There was a lots of places where, where crops grew. So if you had an army, you could water them and feed them fairly easy. And so that's probably why they use it as a launching point for this and why even Pharaoh would go all the way from the south to go all the way up north of Israel. And then, of course, he was trying to attack somewhere north, but uh, he launched his attack from, from that spot as well. Now, what happened here is that uh, now Josiah was taken out by, by Pharaoh. In Second Kings chapter 23, in verse 31, Jehoaz was as well. This is, of course, the, the prophecy. Pharaoh didn't have anything to do with that particular prophecy, but he does in this one. Uh, but uh, the Chaldeans do in this one. In verse 31 of chapter 23, Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamuta, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. But Pharaoh Necho put him in prison in Riblah in the land of Hamath that he might not reign 
in Jerusalem and he imposed on the land a tribute of uh, 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Pharaoh took Jehoaz and went to Egypt and he died there. So this is uh, one of the times that we see that they were they were taken up to this spot and they were killed. But in particular, he's talking about the Chaldeans. And in 2 Kings 25, verse 5, But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. This is the king Zedekiah. All his army was scattered from him, so they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And they pronounced judgment on, on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. So there were some of the uh, princes, some of the higher-ups that were taken to this spot here and killed at Riblah. This is just on the border, uh, which is where the prophet said it would be. And Zedekiah, he saw all his sons killed and then he put out his eyes. In Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 5, but the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho when they captured him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced judgment on him. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes in Riblah, and the king of Babylon also killed all the nobles of Judah. And it's also in uh, Jeremiah 52 where that is also spoken of again. So this was fulfilled that the prophet had said, uh, a, few, a little bit further down in Second Kings 25, verse 19, he also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief rec- <coughs> recruiting officer of the army, who mustered the people of the land, 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. So here we have the fulfillment of this prophecy that Ezekiel gives in that you're going to be taken from here, but you're still going to be killed by the sword, but it's going to be on the border. And this is where this this all occurred. So he says this before it happens, but it does happen. Now this is the thing that they feared. <clears throat> they didn't want to apparently die by the sword. For whatever reason, they feared this one the most. Remember that Job, that he had that what, what he feared came upon him. And this is the way of the enemy. He gets us to fear something and then leads us in a direction so that that will occur. What, what a guy he is. He gets you, God doesn't get you to fear something. But he puts the fear of something in you. He fans that to a flame. You get to be so so afraid of it. And then leads you in the direction of that fear. You thinking the whole time that you're going away from it. The whole time these people are thinking we're going to avoid this from happening. And they're listening to the counsel that comes from Satan. And Satan is counseling them in the very way to take them to the thing they fear the most to destroy them. That's the, the way of the world today. We gotta, we gotta know the source. And he says, and you shall know that I am the Lord. 
For you have not walked in my statutes, nor executed my judgments, but have done according to the customs of the Gentiles that are all around you. Now this part is a little confusing as well. And this is where you have to go to other areas of Scripture to understand this. this may, if you're just reading this over, this may not jump out at you as confusing. But I'll help you get confused. <laughs> For the purpose of straightening it all out. Understand. So you shall know that I am the Lord, for you have not walked in my statutes, nor executed my judgments. Now we all know that's true. But have done according to the customs of the Gentiles, which are all around you. What did they do? They did according to the customs of the Gentiles that are around them. Now we covered this in chapter 5. It was a while ago, so maybe you don't remember. But in chapter 5, verse 7, it says that they didn't do the things of the nations around them. In fact, pull that up. Can you pull up uh, Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 7? Let's just read it right on out of there into the, my little summary I put. <laughs> Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have multiplied disobedience more than the nations that are around you, have not walked in my statutes, nor kept my judgments, nor even done according to the judgments of the nations that are around you. So, again, here in this particular verse, let's read it again. But you have done according to the customs of the Gentiles that are around you. And here it says, nor even done according to the judgments of the nations that are around you. So did they not do it, or did they do it? There's another verse over in Ezekiel chapter 16, 47, which clears it all up for us. You did not walk in their ways, nor act according to their abominations, but as if that were too little, you became more corrupt than all than they in all your ways. So at one point he's saying, you did what they did. And another one it says you didn't do because they actually went beyond it. You did more corruption than all of them did. If you would have just walked in the ways of the Gentiles, it wouldn't have been as bad. But you went way beyond it. So he's not really saying anything different or anything to be confused about. God is just focusing on, on things at a different time. First off, we're looking at the fact that you walked after the ways of the Gentiles instead of the ways that I, I said to go. Another time he's looking at it, he says, now if I compare you to the Gentiles, you've gone way beyond. You haven't done what they've done. You've done, you've done more. And then over there in chapter 16, he kind of ties it all together and, and brings it in there. So that may not have been confusing to you and hopefully it won't ever be. So now it happened while I was prophesying this, keep this in mind. This is still a vision of something that will happen in the future. Now it happened while I was prophesying that Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, died. Then I fell on my face and cried with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a complete end of the remnant of Israel? So there are two guys that are singled out as the, the main people leading these guys astray. And one of them at the end here falls dead. As he gives the prophecy, this guy just falls over. Now, does he actually fall over dead? Does he just fall over dead as a sign in the vision? I mean, what actually went on here? Is all of a sudden over back in the Jerusalem? Does uh, he just fall over? And he dies, but no one knows why? It's, 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 uh, a little puzzling as to what went on there. But here in this vision, he falls dead. 
Now again, this is a vision of things that will happen. They have not quite happened yet. I uh, put in your outline, perhaps it's like Hananiah in Jeremiah 28. And if you don't mind a little diversion, we'll go over to Jeremiah 28, verse 1. And it happened in the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year, and in the fifth month. Keep that in mind. That's the fifth month. That Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all the people, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. See, he's one of those who says we should rebel. God has already broken the yoke. Now we just need to rebel and, and, and go forward. Within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from his place and carried into, carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. And the Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who carried, all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, hear now the words, this word that I speak in your hearing. And in your hearing of all the people, the prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries, great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. And that makes sense. Then Hananiah, the prophet, took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck because he had put one on in a demonstration. And broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. The prophet Jeremiah went his way. Now this was a yoke that he had put on. God told him to put this yoke on as a demonstration of the yoke of Babylon. And so, in order to bring credence to his prophecy, he goes over and takes that yoke because he's saying, he's declaring that Jeremiah is a false prophet. And he takes that yoke and he breaks it. So um, now the word of the Lord, verse 12, came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and they shall serve him because understand there's more nations than just Israel that serve Babylon I have given him the beasts of the field also then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet hear now Hananiah the Lord has not sent you but you make this people trust in a lie therefore thus says the Lord behold I will cast you from the face of the earth This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. Now that's quite a thing to say, to pronounce. And Jeremiah is is saying something that could bring everything that that he has prophesied into question. But he got this from the Lord and he's delivering what the Lord says. When you receive something from the Lord, you just have to deliver it. You don't have to bring it about. And verse 17 says, So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. So this started out in the fifth month. It seems that two months later is when he died. 
Now, what do you think the people did when Hananiah, their false prophet, who was telling them they were going to be free from Babylon? When Jeremiah comes and prophesies he's going to die and Hananiah dies. Well, I can pretty much tell you what happened. They all got mad at Jeremiah. (laughs) And they continued to believe the false things that were said. Here at the end of uh, verse 13 back in Ezekiel. When Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, dies, it says that Ezekiel fell. He says, I fell on my face and cried with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a complete end of the remnant of Israel? Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw 25 guys who were leaving false worship in the court of my God, and two of them we know by name, God called them out by name, and then one of them falls over dead as this prophesy is, is, is going, I'm pretty sure my reaction is not, Oh, I think pretty sure my reaction is, yeah, go get the other one too. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what my reaction would be. This is not Ezekiel's reaction. Now, in the last time we saw that the one reaction Ezekiel had, that was not of God. I'm not sure that I can tell you this is of God or not of God. Uh, but his response, his reaction to this generates something from God. And then God begins to talk about something that is good for him and the people to hear. Whether God would have given it no matter what, I don't know. But it's definitely in response to what he does here once he sees Pelatiah just fall over and die. Now again, this was a prophecy. And this may happen in the future that he will die in this when this situation comes up, I don't really, don't really know. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that he dies suddenly. So, let's uh, go on here to verse 14. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, your brethren, your relatives, your countrymen, and all the house of Israel in its entirety are those about whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get far away from the Lord. This land has been given to us as possession. So people were going to come into the land once they were vacated from it. And they're going to say, Y'all, get away from this. This is our possession now. Now that's happened about every time that Israel's been kicked out. Other people have moved into the land and they said, This is ours now. And well, God says, uh, He has something a little bit different to say about this. Get far away from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. I see they even want to try and try and claim that God did it. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles and that I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. So God says, I may have thrown them all over the place and they may, may be in many countries. Now, not just Babylon. There's a bulk of the captives that are in Babylon and this is the ones that Ezekiel is sent to. But Assyria also took some of them and dispersed them in other parts of the country and other, other parts of the world. And they may be some of the ones that they have referenced to as well. But wherever it is, he's saying countries. So we're not just talking about those that are in Babylonia. 
We're talking about those that are all around the world. And he says, wherever they are, I know where they are. And I am their sanctuary. All they need to do is be submitted to me and not rebel against my ways or the prophets that I have. Do what they say. And I'll be a sanctuary for them. So, Ezekiel, don't get all upset. Don't be thinking, oh man, this God's going to wipe all of them out. Just because that one guy died, he was evil. He was he was leading them down the wrong way. You know, sometimes we, we talk to you about different people that are around in our country, prominent people that are leading people down the wrong, a wrong way. You know, some of my favorites, you know, Katie Couric and some of the other ones, and y'all laugh at me when I say there's a special spot in hell for these people. There is a special judgment on people who lead people astray from the things of God, who speak things that are false, that are not inspired by God, and try to speak them with authority. Most of these people in the news speak things as if they are the authority, and they are not. And when they get to the judgment seat, if they have not repented and they have not turned from their ways, these people that have purposely led other people astray will come into a very great judgment. If we, we know from the scripture that those become teachers in the body of, of, of Christ, become ministers, and they lead people in a, in a wrong way, God says, I'll, I'm going to have a strict judgment for you. What do you think it is of those in the world who lead people in a wrong way? Not just content with being evil themselves. No, we have to lead others into this way at all, as well. We have to force them into this way. What do you think God's going to do with them? And here we see one just drops over dead. The other guy, he gets mentioned. We know in the New Testament that there is mention. I was actually going to make this as part of it, but we ran out of time to get everything ready and there's you know, enough material for us to try and cover in one night. <laughs> but I actually wanted to go through the Bible. And uh, pull out for some of you some of these false people that were named. There's a number of them in the Word of God. I mean, it's one thing when there well, there's some false people out there, but there's a number of times when we're given names. Paul named a couple. Old Testament names named some. In the New Testament, we have names of some people who come against Jesus. We have names for them. These are people that are leading them down the wrong path. Where do we leave off at? 16? Therefore thus, therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. So he gave it to him once, and he's going to give it to him again. But he's going to pull them from all countries. Now before he pulled them from Egypt, he had them all in one little spot. And he just led them out of Egypt. Now they're all over the place. But he says, this is all right, I'm going to gather them from all over. We're going to bring them all over here and I'm going to give you the land of Israel. And they will go there. And they will take away all its detestable things and all its abominations from there. And then I will give them one heart. And I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of of flesh that they may walk in my statutes, keep my judgments and do them. 
then they shall be my people and I will be their God. So when they come back into this place, they would have learned their lesson. And one thing Israel did learn when they came out of captivity, they did not go into idolatry again. They got rid of all the idolatrous stuff that was around the land. They purged it. And when Jesus comes along, they have a problem with religion. They do not have a problem with idolatry. So the devil says, well, we can't get them going down this direction anymore. So he takes them down another direction. And the result is the same. They're still murderous as they were in Ezekiel's day. They're still plotting the death of Jesus and Lazarus and all these other... They're still doing the same thing. But they're not going after idols. They're going after the law. They're trying to beat people over the head with the law and trying to become pure through the law and lead other people into that direction. And so they went the way of, of religion, which is not the way that God went them to go. But he says, now... He says they're going to come back and they're going to get rid of all that stuff. And I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a, a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts follow the desire for their detestable things and their abominations... I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. If they refuse, if they don't want to go in this direction of being led to to get rid of the stony heart and to get the heart of flesh, if they don't want to go in that direction, this is what he says will happen to them. I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. So the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. This mountain on the east side is the same mountain that Jesus tells the people to flee to when the abomination of desolation is set up. This is where the Spirit of God went to. Then the Spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea to those in captivity. And the vision that I had seen went up from me. So I spoke to those in captivity of all the things the Lord had shown me. So those people that were there, again, whether these people came and assembled every day, whatever it might be, they were assembled there. It seems to be during a time when he was doing the laying on the side part. At least the days would count out that he was towards the end of it, but not quite uh, past it. And while he was doing this is when he had this, this vision. And after the vision, he related the things that had gone on in the vision to the people. Now, so much of what Ezekiel says here mirrors what Jeremiah speaks. And I got a couple of verses here for you to to look over. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 33, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Next chapter, verse 37, Behold, I will gather them 
out of all the countries where I have driven them in my anger and in my fury. Look at that. I will gather them out of all the countries, plural, not singular, where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. And I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. What you're going to see here with Jeremiah and Ezekiel and probably others that were prophesying then as well. Jeremiah and Ezekiel are in two different places. Ezekiel is in Chaldea and cannot leave. And Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. And even if he could leave, he's commissioned by God to stay. They have no way to contact each other. Can't call each other up on the phone. They don't get to read each other's prophecies. But they're both prophesying almost identical things to the people. Now, they don't always use the same phraseology. Sometimes we see some normal thing. Countries, you see that pop up. And not just not just the one country, but he says countries. So sometimes you see some similar words that come up. Some of the wording of Ezekiel is unique to Ezekiel. And some of the wording of Jeremiah is unique to Jeremiah. But the principle is the same. I'm going to gather you back. We're going to bring you back to this place. And you're going to follow me. You're going to do the things that I asked you to do. Sometimes we we may think that if a person we go over here to a meeting in Northeast and a person gets up and prophesies over us and speaks some things and uses some terminology and some phraseology and then some months later we go out to a place in Texas and someone we didn't know, they don't know us prophesies over us uses some of the same phraseology some of the same words and the message is the same and then maybe later on we go out to some place out west and we're in a meeting and the spirit of God comes down upon someone and they prophesy over us and they use some very similar words the message is the same and is that a verification that God has saying something. And we hear this from many times. Well, I keep hearing the same thing. I keep hearing the same thing. People keep telling me the same thing. And, and they don't know each other. And they don't know what it is. They don't know me. And some come to the conclusion that this must be God. And they go and they do the thing that is, that is said to, do, to be done. Well, you see, God can, as it is here with Jeremiah and Ezekiel, He can speak to both of them and give them both something very similar, use some of the same phraseologies, and it's gone. But understand during the same time, there are some false teachers, and there are some false prophets who are speaking an opposite message. And some of them are using the same phraseologies, and some of them are using the same words, and they had the same message. How often have we seen just so far in what we've looked at in two years, this will be broken. This is a short time. This is not for anything long. I have already broken the yoke of Babylon. And the constant message is it's a short time, it's a short time, it's a short time. 
but they're similar. You see, the similarity does not mean that it's from God. The similarity just means it's from the same source. When we see a message that comes and there's a lot of similarities to it from something else that we heard, all that it confirms for us is that the source is the same. It doesn't mean that it's from God. It doesn't mean that it's a source that you should listen to. It just means the source is the same. And understand that your enemy, just as the enemy of Israel here, is of such that it wants you to go in a direction of destruction. And he does not need to have his messengers coordinate with each other because he will give the same message to each one. Just because a message agrees does not mean that it is God. And just because a message agrees doesn't mean that it's not. You see, we can't use the things that we can see that are so obvious to judge a word, whether it's true or whether it's not. We still have to go back to the same thing. What does our spirit tell us? The Word of God tells us in First John, Beloved, test the spirits to see whether they are of God. But so many Christians, they fall prey to phraseologies and words and the fact, well, this person doesn't know me. No, but your enemy knows you. Just know that enemy wants to lead you down a wrong direction. He led Israel down a wrong direction. And he had many people buy into this thing so that they refused the words of Jeremiah, fanned them to a flame of rebellion. They went against the things of God and right into the place of destruction. If they only would have submitted to Babylon, as God had said, none of these people would have had to die. They would have been preserved in their city. The city wouldn't have even fallen into the hands of people they had to free it from. But they rebelled. They didn't go. We must be so careful with the words that we hear and understand there are many places in this country that have a revival of prophecy and are doing and saying things in the area of prophecy that is false, it is misleading, it is not of God. And just because there are some powerful things inside those prophecies from wording and terminology, oh, this person has no idea, but it was just six months ago someone else in another meeting, someplace else told me the exact same thing and used the same words. All that means is the source was the same. And how is it that Christians can have their source in the evil one? It's nothing new. We see it in Ezekiel and Jeremiah's day. The people who profess to be of God had their source as the evil one. In Jesus' day, People who profess to be of God had their source in the evil one. In Paul's day, people who profess to be of God had their source in the evil one. 
Jesus said, you were of your father, the devil. Because he knew what their source was. Identify the source. It will expose the message. And the devil will hate it. Because if he cannot camouflage the source, you will never, exp- you will never accept the message. And all he wants you to accept the message. God doesn't jump around, wave his arms, and say all manner of things to get you to get you get your attention. No, don't do it. He's given us everything we need to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is of him and what is not. Because he doesn't want us to go down the wrong direction. Just understand your enemy can be very coordinated. He's not always very smart, but he is very coordinated. He's very cunning. He's very crafty. But you see, I say he's not very smart in that you cannot make a lie be the truth. Because every lie has its root in what is false. And the more you trace it back, the more you will find out it's false. But the truth, you can trace that back as far as you want to go. And all you do is find more truth. That's the way of God. Well, Father, I thank you for the warnings that we have in the Word. And just as the children of Israel did not heed these warnings and went in a direction that let the enemy take them to the very thing they feared, Father, you wanted to prevent them from that and to keep them from it. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us in this life and in this day, that we can discern what is false, what is true. We're not going to be swept off our feet because something looks so supernatural, because something looks so consistent with something else that we heard and something else that we heard before that. For none of that matters. All we need to do is find out the source. And I thank you, Father, the, the source of light is light. The source of darkness is darkness. And we are able to tell the difference. I give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.